Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading this morning comes from Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 to 25. Some give freely, yet grow all the richer. Others withhold what is due and only suffer want. A generous person will be enriched, and one who gives water will get water. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our second scripture comes to us from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, and verse 23. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Whatever your task, put yourself into it as done for the Lord and not for your masters. The word of the Lord. So two weeks ago, when I preached, many people came up to me afterwards and said, hey, why didn't you talk about Peru? You were just in Peru on a mission trip, and we wanted to hear about it. And if I'm honest, it's because the trip was still a little raw for me. (laughs) I had just gotten home the week before, and I was sick for the majority of that week, so I needed time to process Uh, internally, but also thoughts and, and feelings on the trip. But never fear, for I am going to speak a little bit about Peru today, so I hope you all are excited. But first, I want to start with puzzles. I love puzzles. And luckily, my wife also likes puzzles. She gets bored or frustrated with them quicker than I do, but she always comes back. I bring this up because recently we've gotten three puzzles for our wedding, and we just started one last week. Plus, I need to introduce this idea so that when I use it later, you don't think it came out of nowhere. The thousand-piece, the puzzle we have is a thousand-piece puzzle. And last week when we started, started it, it took us one entire night just to do the border of that puzzle before we went to bed. Now, when I woke up the next morning, my BBC News app on my phone told me that there had been an earthquake in Indonesia, and now the death toll was above 430 people. I feel like often I wake up to news like this, and it hits us just like it did in this sermon. You're in your life doing your thing, and then suddenly you get a a notification telling you that there's been a tragedy. A piece of technology smaller than a piece of bread is a miracle in our pockets. It connects us to the entire world. When something happens anywhere in the world, it is minutes before we know about it. It used to not be this way, even in my lifetime, which is not very long, teenagers in the room. (laughs) Even in my lifetime, Technology connectiveness has grown at an exponential rate. When I was a kid, 
News on the television only happened at 5 p.m. and 11 p.m. If anything happened between those times, well, it just had to wait, unless it was really big and then they would interrupt my cartoons for it. We would wait for the morning newspaper to know what happened yesterday, or tune into the radio at the right time on the right station, and then we would get the information we needed. But now all you need is the internet, and you have up to the minute information. For me, this is a blessing and a curse. You see, I'm a doer. When I see an issue, I want to do something so that I can fix it. I don't feel like simply being aware of the issue or sending my thoughts and prayers is enough. I want to do something if I can do something. This is why I actually love the book of James, but I've already preached on James like three times here, so I didn't want to use that scripture again, because then you guys would be like, seriously, do you know another book? You're like Alex with Genesis. (laughs) Someone wrote that in. That wasn't me. I don't know. (laughs) James calls us to show our faith through our actions, and I'm like, heck yeah, James. But here's the issue. When I hear about these big, tragic news stories, I start to feel weighed down. Yes, because they're sad, but also because they, they're large and complicated. They're difficult to solve or do anything about. But undeterred, my brain goes into doing mode and thinks about how I can do something to help. It's as if each news story I hear is a puzzle, and as soon as I hear about it, my brain starts to work on the border of that puzzle so I can fill it in. But here's the truly fun part, though. Even if I work all night and actually do accomplish getting something done with the border of this puzzle, the, the next morning, my phone wakes me up to another new puzzle problem. Good morning. Did you know that there are starving children in Haiti where undernourishment rates are over 50%? Good morning. Did you know that Puerto Rico still doesn't have power? Good morning. Flint, Michigan still doesn't have clean water. Good morning. Wildfires are raging in California, taking away people's homes and livelihoods. Good morning. In the last two weekends alone, 130 people have been shot in Chicago. It's as though after starting my first thousand-piece puzzle every morning, another thousand-piece puzzle is dumped on top of it. By the third day, I have completely given up on trying to solve anything. Being connected to the world is amazing, but it also connects us to all of the grief and loss and sorrow around the world. And when we see and feel that, we suddenly are too overwhelmed to do anything. We aren't lulled into non-action, we are stunned into it. We're overcome with all of the negative, with all of the problems. Our minds simply cannot compute how we would even start to think about how to solve any of this. And this brings me to Peru. While we, the high school youth group, and the amazing adult volunteers who were with them were in Santa Teresa, we got to do several things. We helped pour concrete and move rocks for the church that they were building. 
We went to several coffee farms and helped pick coffee, which, by the way, is a berry. Did you know that? Because I did not know that. Coffee is a red berry, and then you have to shuck it, you dry the pit out, you shuck the pit again, and then you roast it, and you get the black bean that we are used to. I don't know what I thought it was, but I did not think it was a berry. I'm getting off track. We got to help work on the church and pick coffee berries, and we, helped, we went to a local school to help teach English. Now, the day I was at the school, each youth and adult was able to go into two different classrooms. In the first classroom, we helped them with animals, sizes, and colors. So I would show them a picture of a tiger, and I would say, ¿Qué es esto? Or, what is this? And they would say, tiger. And I would go, "Si, sí, that is right. And then, are you laughing at my Spanish? <laughs> so, <laughs> that was good. Huh? And then I would say, Color, and they would say, orange e black. And I would go, see. And then I would say, is a tiger big or is it small? And they would say, big. And we did this with about a hundred different photos of animals. Then I went to the second classroom. This classroom was more advanced English speakers, so I was told to just talk to them, ask them questions, let them ask me questions. So that's what we did. After a while of getting to know each other, I asked a question that I thought would get a different response. I asked, have you been to the United States? And they said, no. Now, that's not the question that I, I got a different response for. Then I said, do you want to go to the United States? And they said, no. That wasn't the question either. It, it costs a lot, and we don't have a great reputation all around the world. Then I made it more local, at least I thought more local, and I said, do you want to travel to Brazil or Chile or any of the surrounding countries? And they said, no. Finally, I asked, okay, do you want to or have you been to Lima, which was just an hour flight or a 24-hour bus ride? <laughs> <sighs> Don't know if you guys knew that. Um, and they said, no, the vast majority have never been, nor do they want to go. Perplexed, I asked why they didn't want to travel anywhere. They said several times in broken English and Spanish, which is very broken for me. First of all, it costs money. But more than that, I wouldn't want to go because my whole family is here. All of my friends are here. I have a job here. Why would I want to go anywhere else? That stuck with me. I even talked to our Peruvian partners about it, and they said, yeah, that's pretty much the mentality in all of these towns. This is interesting to me, but what became even more intriguing to me was that later in the week, I noticed that Santa Teresa had no one on the streets. There didn't seem to be anyone experiencing homelessness. When I asked about this, I was told that they were all in Lima or Cusco, and I got a little confused. I said, wait, so if someone falls on hard times, you ship them to Lima or Cusco? And I could tell by their faces that I had misunderstood. Essentially, if someone in their community comes across financial trouble, their family is also in the community, and the family and the rest of the community help them out. They find them jobs, they lend them money, they allow them to stay in their homes. 
What they meant by they are in Lima and Cusco is that those are big cities that don't have the same kind of networking that this town had. And so when someone fell on hard times, they didn't have the same kind of people to fall back on. This town had found a way to either eliminate homelessness or essentially never have it to begin with. As I started noticing these things, I couldn't stop. All of their concerns seemed to be local concerns. They had a parade for their local school. There was a rally for their mayoral race for their town. The construction workers for the church weren't brought in from out of town. They lived right there in Santa Teresa. Their concerns and worries were local. Their focus was on their town and their family and friends. When issues came up, that's a much easier size to tackle. This actually caused a question to arise in me. Is it beneficial to know all of the issues throughout the world? Is it good to have that knowledge? Or is it better to stay within your personal local sphere? If you stay within your local sphere, the problems you deal with don't seem so insurmountable. In fact, when you apply your time and effort, you might even see results from your effort, especially if you're working with like-minded people. At the same time, you wouldn't know about anything outside of your local area. You would literally be creating a bubble for yourself to stay in. But if you know everything that's happening in the world, well, we already went over how that can shock you into non-action. Like most everything in this world, I don't think the answer is truly one or the other, but a shade of gray that we must trudge through, which is so much more difficult than if the answer were just black and white. I think it's better to know what's happening in the world. Now, I don't have electric skills, but if I did, maybe I would be inclined to go to Puerto Rico and see if I could help out. But I wouldn't be able to do that if I didn't know about it. I don't have the skills to help Flint or fight fires in California, but those who do are able to know about the issues around the world and choose if they can or will help out. As sad as it is for people like me to hear about these issues and not be able to do anything about them, I think that it's ultimately a good thing that we know about all of these. Now, like I said, I've been doing a puzzle lately, and I found that when I look everywhere or at too many places, I don't get anything done. It's hard to try and take in an entire puzzle when it's just the beginning. But when I focus on one spot, one certain color, one certain shape, I usually do much better. For a while, I look for just green pieces and then divide them by shades of green, and I get a little done. I look for bright red pieces and I get a little done. Then I look for blue pieces and I get a little done. Now, I don't always finish the entire green, blue, or red sections, but I get further than I would have just looking at the puzzle as a whole. What I can do is be inspired by Peru and look locally at what I can affect right here. Arlington Heights is not 
without its issues? How can I help those? What can I actually do? That's the question that we should be asking, not in a defeated way or in an overwhelmed way, but in an actual questioning way. I want to make the community better kind of way. What can I do? We need to continue working on the puzzle, not allowing the sheer size and complexity of it to make us quit. Let us take an area as far as we can and then move on to the next area, doing the puzzle section by section, area by area, problem by problem, doing what we can do and being okay to let go of the sections that we do not have the skills to complete. We need to focus, start locally, and do as much as we can where we're at, and then before we know it, we'll have done much more than we ever thought we could. Now this is where my sermon ended. Bless you. And my sermon, my sermon ended because on Wednesday I read an article that caused me to write a completely separate sermon. I tried to work it in to this sermon, but it felt like it lost its integrity. And so instead I decided to write everything I could down about what I was thinking. And it wasn't a full sermon. So I'm just tacking it on at the end here. I wrote it down because what happened made me so angry that if I just tried to come up here and speak about it, I would be unable. So please bear with me as I read this. I'm angry. Honestly, I have not been this mad in a while. It's taking everything in me to not pound on this desk and shout and scream. On Wednesday, I read an article about 300 different priests in the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania, sexually abusing more than 1,000 children over the last 70 years. There were terrible, horrific instances of abuse described in the report, and I'll spare you from hearing them. But they were some of the most appalling things I have ever heard of pastors doing, and it makes me sick. Just as bad, this investigation uncovered that there was a massive cover-up of these actions. There was even a playbook for concealing the truth that these churches would use. Now, this wasn't an actual book that they would pass around, but instead a pattern that all of the churches used in these instances. The main thing in the pattern was not helping the abused children, but avoiding scandal. Here's how the grand jury described those steps. They would do things like use euphemisms, like inappropriate contact, instead of using the word rape. They would ask inadequate questions as to not conduct a proper investigation. To keep integrity, they would send priests for an evaluation at church-run psychiatric treatment centers, allowing the priest to self-report and basing their entire assessment on the priest's report, regardless of whether or not the priest had actually engaged in sexual contact with the child. If the priest must be removed, do not tell the parishioners why. Say he's on sick leave or has nervous exhaustion. Keep providing the priest housing and living expensive, even if he is abusing children. 
If the conduct becomes known to the community, transfer the priest to a new location where his actions are unknown. And finally, don't tell the police. This is an in-house matter. This comes on the heels of what happened in Willow Creek where the head pastor, the head of staff and founder was accused of sexual harassment by several women, including one of his former employees. And since January of this year, there have been several more examples of people coming forward and telling stories of pain and grief suffered at the hands of their pastors and youth pastors those trusted to lead them in the way of Jesus, those trusted to walk with them in their most vulnerable times. The abuse is disgusting, and I abhor these men of cloth using their power and position to do unspeakable things to the weakest and most vulnerable among their flock. Is this the image of God that we are to put forth to the world? Is this the way of Christ that we teach every Sunday? It is time for a new Christian. And then, in some ways worse, the churches without exception covered up or did not believe the victims. They decided to guard their pastor and hold their pastor's truth to avoid scandal rather than holding the truth of the victim as well. Is this the message that we receive from Psalms? Psalm 82, give justice to the weak, rescue the weak and needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And yet these churches did the exact opposite. It is time for a new Christian. Since 2002, when the first news broke in Boston of a priest abusing more than 80 children during his time and being, all of it being covered up, we have heard more and more stories like this, to the point that not just Catholicism, but Christianity as a whole is now being associated with this type of action. When you ask the rest of the world what they think of when they hear Christian, it is this. It is time for a new Christian. We need to take back the name Christian by holding up the downtrodden, by believing victims that come forward, by holding ourselves to the standards that we spout to the rest of the world. There are stories, these are the stories that drive people out the doors. How can you preach love and compassion and then show none? How can you teach that sex outside of your marriage is sin and then force it upon others? How can you speak truth to power when you are the power that is corrupting the truth? It is time for a new Christian. We need to hold ourselves to our calling, to do justice, to love kindness, to walk humbly with God, to give justice to the weak, to love as Christ loved, to bring good news to the oppressed, bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captive and release to the prisoners to comfort all who mourn for God loves justice and hates wrongdoing. It is time that we as Christians live up to the mantles that we actually champion those who are oppressed. Not 
only those in this story, but all oppressed people, people experiencing homelessness. They need our voice. The LGBTQ community needs our voice. The trans communities, aliens, strangers, immigrants in this country, minorities fearing for their families in the face of white nationalists not only rising up, but being given leeway to speak and act as they see fit. Those in prison, and proportionately those people of color, all of them need a champion. And if not us, if we do not start to be the ones on the forefront of the conversations, on the forefront of the actions when it comes to standing against injustice in all of its forms, if we do not stand against those who wield their power to divide and hurt and selfishly get what they want no matter who it affects, then what good is the church? To sit in our ivory tower while the world below burns is not our calling. And yet that is what the church in America has become. It is time for a new Christian, one that brings to mind love, justice, compassion, action, empathy, being on the side of the weak and vulnerable and not on the side of those in power to keep them in power. Christ did not hang out with governors or emperors or even the Pharisees. No, Christ was with the lepers, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the fishermen, those who were oppressed by society. That is our calling. We need to raise up people over policy, love over law, Christ over church, just over those who say just us, and we need to give Christianity a new name that is really its original name again. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Prez family of faith.